Good evening, everyone. Good to see you tonight. Trust you're having a good week. And as I like to say, if you're not, this is a good place to be, too. If you have your Bibles, uh, let's turn to uh, 2 Thessalonians tonight. Uh, we kind of stopped midstream last week. I was going to try to finish out chapter 1 last week. We didn't get there, so we'll try to get there tonight, okay? We'll back up just a little bit and do a little review as far as where we were and, and uh, go from there. So let's, uh, let's pray and then we'll get into our... Uh, sorry, Albert, I'll give you a moment here. Okay, let's pray. Lord, again, we thank you for the privilege to assemble in Jesus' name. Thank you for the saints. Thank you for the privilege to interact with one another around the things of God this evening. Pray that you would be with Awana Youth Group Ministries. Thank you for all those who serve in these various roles of leadership and, and helping. Just pray that those ministries would be fruitful tonight. The Word of God go forth with power and do what only you can do in the hearts and lives of, of all of us who are studying the Word. We commit our study in 2 Thessalonians to you tonight. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> well, uh, if you want to back up to 1 Thessalonians chapter... I told you we're going to do some review. I'm just kidding. We're, we're not going that far. But uh, the Thessalonians, uh, you know, Paul spent just a few weeks there on his second missionary journey and, and planted the church there. And uh, when they got saved, note uh, what they did. It talks about uh, chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, how they uh, turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And then he says, and to wait for his son from heaven. And why were they waiting for the son from heaven? Well, uh, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So they got saved, waiting for Jesus to come and, and deliver them from the wrath to come. So they knew it was coming. They knew the day of the Lord's coming. They knew it was coming as a thief in the night, as he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So, as uh, you go along, <clears throat> they knew this, but now uh, they are continuing to experience tremendous persecution. And on top of that, you've got some false teachers on the scene who are telling them, you know, we've entered into the day of the Lord. That's why we're experiencing all these terrible things. Well, Paul now has to kind of bring a proper theology of suffering to the table to help correct things. And that's what we have going on in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1 here. Uh, note uh, what he has pointed out. Uh, I guess I, well, you, you saw the introductory slide. You've seen it quite a few times, Ray, probably. But anyway, uh, persecution has a dual function. Uh, it's manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God. God is going to bring judgment on these people, and, and he's righteous in doing so. And uh, their persecution of God's people provides the evidence that this is a, a righteous thing for God to do. And then the second uh, reason, he says, that you may be kind of worthy of the kingdom of God. Uh, it doesn't make you worthy, but it shows you to be worthy by grace. That uh, You are God's people, and as the world has a problem with God, it has a problem with his people. And in this process, it, it reveals that they are kingdom worthy. So it serves those two purposes. He says uh, in uh, to 2 Thessalonians now, chapter 1, verse 6, he says it's a righteous thing with, with God to repay uh, those who trouble you. It's, it's a righteous thing uh, with God to do so. And uh, note a couple of things by way of review here. Uh, it's a righteous judgment of God uh, because they abuse God's people. And because of their rejection of God. And to build on that just a little bit further, he says there, uh, God is in flaming fire. Christ is coming in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel. Now, as I say, there's quite a bit of discussion. We're we talking about two categories of people here. We're we talking about just uh, one category of people with a double statement, a double emphasis. Uh, let me interact with that for just a bit. Uh, are two groups in view here, or is this a case of Hebrew parallelism where the second phrase merely further qualifies the first? Which I tend to think so. But some think uh, those who do not know God is a technical reference to the Gentiles, as seen in 1 Thessalonians 4 or 5, where he talks about those who do not know God are immoral. And uh, it really seems to be, a, you know, the, the Gentiles were openly immoral, where the Jews would not be open about it like that. 
So uh, some think uh, that phrase may is a technical reference to the Gentiles. Uh, while those who do not obey the gospel is a reference to the Jews who, to whom the gospel went first. And it's true, they t- uh, you know, pretty much as a people in general did not obey the gospel when it came to them. And so you can see some, uh, where they're beginning some of that. However, uh, to not know God and to not obey the gospel result in the same end, uh, same destiny. So it's probably best to see both of these statements applying to both Jew and Gentile. I don't know if I'd make a huge uh, difference at the end. If you don't know God, you're going to hell. If you don't obey the gospel, you're going to hell. Uh, maybe a little bit more serious if, if you've heard the gospel because you're accountable now for the gospel as well as general revelation. But the, the bottom line is all of these, uh, both categories, no matter how you slice and dice it, uh, are going to experience the flaming uh, vengeance of God. A uh, key point as far as uh, being brought out here is, you know, the devil's people don't appreciate God's people generally. Uh, they tend to abuse them and persecute them. And he's bringing that out here, kind of expect that. And uh, so how people relate to God is kind of reflecting how they relate with God's people. Uh, as God's people, uh, we know that we pass from death and life because we love the brethren. Uh, there's a bond here between us as fellow Christians. And uh, that is to be reflected in how we carry on. I said last week, and it's worth repeating, we are not saved by works. Right? We're not saved by our works. But we are saved by the obedience of faith. That's the bookends of Romans, chapter 1, chapter 16. Uh, these do not obey the gospel. That's why they're experiencing the vengeance uh, of Christ, as he says there in uh, verse, um, verse 8. Okay, um, well, let's get started, and let's backtrack just a little bit. We covered verse 9 last week. We'll touch on it a little bit this week, too. The only reason is it's uh, verse 9 and 10 go together as one sentence, so we want to kind of get the whole flow of thought here. There's a contrast being presented. Uh, somebody want to read verses 9 and 10 for us? Yeah, Albert? Okay, thank you. So, uh, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction. Who's the these? Well, right. Those who don't know God and those who don't obey the gospel. Uh, They will be punished with everlasting destruction. The idea is eternal ruination. Um, Eternal ruination. Uh, Things never get any better. There's never any improvement. It's always eternal ruination uh, in hell. And that's what they're destined to. They're they're being punished with this, punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. Uh, Literally, a presence is face from from the face of the Lord. And, uh, you know, the face of the Lord uh, often in Scripture denotes blessing, denotes his favor. Uh, The face of the Lord shines upon you. Uh, None of that. They're, they're, they're cut off from the face of the Lord, from the presence of the Lord. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Uh, imagine if you're shut out from every good and perfect gift. We as human beings were designed, we were created for God, we're made in God's image. Now if you're shut off from God, you're shut off from every good thing. And they're not going to experience anything good there. There's no satisfaction there. Uh, it's a God-forsaken place. Um, eternal ruination, uh, punished with everlasting destruction from the, from the face of the Lord, from the presence of the Lord. And then it says, and from the glory of his power. Uh, you know, it's, it's awesome uh, to just see God's uh, power even in upholding creation. So we see, um, you know, the universe. We see, uh, you know, the stars. And we see everything that's held in place by his power and so forth. Uh, the glory of his power is, is the splendor of it. The awe of it. Uh, no beauty in, in uh, hell where they're going to this place of ever destruction when they're uh, shut out from the face of the Lord. They don't see any of that. They don't experience any of this. It really causes awe in, in, in us. Uh, they certainly won't experience his, the power of his deliverance. There's no way out here. Uh, they're in eternal bondage in, in this place uh, where everything is ugly and it's eternal torment. 
really can't imagine. You know, hell is the awfulest doctrine in in the Bible. I mean, uh, I too hope I completely miss this. I I totally believe it with all my heart. Don't get me wrong. But it's really just kind of hard to fathom uh, a place of eternal punishment where there is no way out. Um, it's just, it just blows your mind. You almost can't go there for too long. But anyway, this is what it says. Uh, these who do not know God and do not obey the gospel, they will be punished with everlasting destruction. That word everlasting is a word that's used for God himself. Romans 16, uh, the eternal God, the everlasting God. Uh, everlasting uh, destruction. Uh, it's not like, well, annihilation, just for a little bit and then they're gone. no. Seems like the, the punishment itself is everlasting. And uh, various scriptures would bear that out. Okay, um, and then uh, notice he goes on there. He, this is the experience of the, of the lost. But it says that this will happen when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe, because our testimony among you is believed. Uh, in contrast to the experience of the lost, verse 9, is going to be the experience of the saints. Uh, the lost are going to experience endless ruin. The saints are going to experience endless glory. And uh, when he comes in that day, this is the second coming, uh, this is the day that God turns the tables uh, for ever and ever. Amen. And uh, in that day, uh, he, is going, he is coming to be glorified in his saints. Uh, to the glory of God, he is going to be glorified in his saints. Saints is holy ones, literally holy ones. He's going to be glorified in his holy ones. Uh, God's got great plans for the church. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, uh, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he has accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Run to the end of the chapter, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. I sometimes think we, we limit this verse to just uh, in the now, in the, in the present, right now, but it has an ultimate uh, eternal perspective, I think. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So what God is doing is going to be exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Uh, the power that works in us ultimately uh, to transform us into the very image of Jesus Christ where we will be exactly like Christ, uh, where the process is completed at his second coming. He's coming to be glorified in his saints. Uh, Hebert says... The meaning may be that his glory will be reflected in the saints, being, as it were, mirrors reflecting his glory. But more probably, the meaning is that Christ will be glorified when it is openly displayed what he has wrought in his saints, now assembled with him in glorified bodies and perfect in spirit. Ephesians 2, 7, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So God's going to show us off, as it were, in the ages to come. Uh, show, hey, look what I have done in these. And it's going to be an amazing thing. He's going to come to be glorified in his saints. On the one hand, everlasting destruction for those who don't know God. On the other hand, for the saints, he's coming to be glorified in us. And he kind of enlarges on this. And to be admired among those who believe... More literally, uh, the, the word among is in. It should be uh, the idea of in. To be admired in all those who believe. Admired is the idea of that which causes marvel or, or wonder or astonishment. Um, I don't know who all the spectators are going to be here. Perhaps the angels, the holy angels. Uh, but uh, they're going to say, wow, look what God has done. We remember those uh, miserable uh, people when they were on earth. <laughs> Now, they won't say that, I'm sure, but, uh, but just look what has happened to them. Well, I'm sure they're going to be pretty amazed at knowing what we were like on earth and now seeing us in this glorified form when Christ comes to be glorified in his saints. It's going to be, wow, uh, going to be, to be admired uh, in all those who believe. And it is going to be quite a transformation. 
you know, uh, there's really, these bodies are pretty fragile and pretty weak. Just pretty much on every level, right? Sometimes our ability to think, it gets kind of weak. Uh, and then we get weaker and we get older and, uh, you know, things start, you know, creaking. Uh, snap, crackle, pop when you get up in the morning. And it's before breakfast time even. But anyway, um, but you know, I love this in the resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians fifteen forty three, talking about the, the body, it's sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power. Uh, you know, there's nothing more weak than, than a dead corpse, right? I mean, it's so weak. I mean, it's doing nothing, has no power whatsoever, reduced to that but it's going to be resurrected in, in great power. And so a tremendous transfer, transformation. And when it's all said and done, uh, God is going to receive tremendous glory and, and admiration for what he has done in these people who he says are believers. I guess I got one more slide here. This is the revealing of the sons of God that Paul talks about. The revealing of the sons of God is found in Romans eight nineteen. Christ is the ultimate object of admiration. But again, the Greek preposition in indicates that the saints themselves are the occasion for the marveling. The glory goes to God, that's for sure. But uh, he's being glorified for what he has done in these people. And uh, it's just an amazing thing, uh, the end of the story in terms of what's going to happen in relationship to the saints. But notice he says to be admired uh, in all those who believe. This is going to be the experience of the believers. Uh, Who are the saints? Those who believe. Believers are saints. Saints are believers. Uh, In Christ we are set apart. The word saint means set apart. And and as, as believers we are set apart in Christ. We now belong to him. We're now in union with him. Uh, To be glorified in his saints... Uh, admired in all those who believe. The saints are believers, and all believers are saints. If you have to wait to die to become a saint, you'll never be one, right? Uh, it happens here. <laughs> it's the point of when, once to die and after that, the judgment. Too late after you die. Uh, you know, you've got all this, you know, pageantry related to the Catholic Church making saints. I mean, it's just so anti-Bible. But notice he, he wants to make a point here. Because, how come this is going to happen? Uh, This is going to happen because, he says, our testimony among you was believed. The gospel testimony that they shared with the people. Because our testimony among you was believed. Isn't it amazing that you can share a message with somebody, a testimony with somebody, and they believe it, and that changes their whole eternity forever and ever. And this is what he traces what they are going to experience as saints, we're going to be, uh, God's going to be glorified in them and uh, how he's going to be admired in them. It's all because he says, he traces it back to our testimony among you was believed. They had all become believers under the ministry of Christ, uh, Paul, uh, as far as we know, as far as he's discussing here, by and large. Perhaps they'd led others to the Lord after he left the scene too. But he's really referring back to that time when he led them to the Lord Our testimony among you was believed. Uh, It wasn't uh, because of their works that they're going to be there in this uh, fashion, being admired and and, uh, for what God has done in them. It's it's not because of what they did, other than they believed. Twice in this verse, admired in all those who believe, our testimony among you was believed. So twice he makes the point here uh, in this verse that the issue is believe. In the end, you have believers who are saved and you have unbelievers who are not saved. It all comes down to either in the end you're a believer or you're an unbeliever. Twice he makes this emphasis uh, in this verse. This is the ultimate issue. Uh, notice what we saw in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verse 13. For this reason, we thank God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God which you heard from us, this is this testimony he's talking about here, the testimony that was believed, uh, the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as a word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. So again, all the way through, we see him emphasizing, you believed, you believed, you believed. That's the ultimate issue.
And everybody has to do their own believing, right? You've got to do your own believing. You've got to do your own account, own dying. You've got to do your own accounting. Uh, they believed. So we see a contrast as we have been studying through here. Boy, that's kind of small, isn't it? But uh, uh, persecutors uh, repaid with tribulation, fiery vengeance, everlasting destruction. Uh, the believers, uh, they have ultimate rest coming, vindication. I think really ultimately kingdom rest at Christ's coming. Uh, Christ will be glorified in, Christ will be admired in them. So we see a tremendous contrast between the persecutors and the, the believers here. Okay. All right. Any other thoughts there? Yeah. Right. Right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I think they both might be off maybe different degrees there, but yeah, yeah. Certainly many secular Jews, I mean, that's what they believe. When you're dead, you're done, you know. Uh, so it's a pretty common thing. Yeah, most of the world takes that attitude. Right. Oh, yeah. The only thing you know of for sure is now, live for now. Yeah, absolutely. That is how the world carries on. Yeah, this uh, verse... Uh, uh, about everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. That, that, that is really pretty horrifying. I, I do praise the Lord that I, my, my parents took me to church even as a young boy. And one of my earliest memories in church is we had a, you know, in those days you still had a few fiery, fire brimstone preachers. This guy was one of those guys. And put the fear of God in me. Even as a little boy, he's like, I don't want to go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, even when in my in my days when I was partying like crazy, well, I'd be I'd be so drunk, and I would say, "Lord, forgive me for everything I did tonight." <laughs> a lot of times I did that. I was scared. Yeah. Well, then the next day I'd go out and do it again. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, that's what you know you do when you, like a sow returning to its vomit or a dog returning to its vomit, a sow in the mud or whatever. But uh, yeah. Okay. Any other thoughts? All right, let's have somebody read uh, verse 11. Who wants to read verse 11 for us? Yeah, Jeff. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of his call and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith. Okay, thank you. So, um, in light of uh, our glorious future, he is, is praying for them. Therefore, we also pray always for you. You know, we all need prayer. Uh, I kind of compare this, uh, this life as a minefield, right? You've got to be careful every step of the way. I mean, uh, treacherous things can happen here if you're not careful. And we need prayer. We all need prayer as far as our walk. Now, we saw in verse 5 that persecution uh, brings out kingdom worthiness. Uh, it doesn't by grace. We are what we are by grace. But uh, it, it kind of reveals who are really true children of God as they stand for God in the, in the context of that persecution and really kind of just demonstrating these are kingdom people uh, worthy of the kingdom. So they say it doesn't make us worthy, but it shows that by grace we are what we are as God's kingdom people. I think Paul's really praying here that they would walk in consistency with their kingdom calling. Uh, that's what... Uh, uh, we want to do. Therefore, we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling. Uh, again, in verse 5, uh, if you go back there to verse 5, he talks about, uh, and it's talking about the tribulations that they, and persecutions that they were enduring, which, in ma which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. And so he has said, uh, you know, that God uses this uh, to show kingdom worthiness. But now he's praying, I think, that God would count them worthy of this kingdom calling in terms of how they live. The goal is, when we get done, uh, that we hear God's, well done, thou good and faithful servant. 
Uh, you know, it really doesn't matter in the end what anybody else says. Now, it seems to matter quite a bit in this life sometimes. We're very concerned about what people think. But at the end of the day, it only matters uh, what one person has to say in terms of evaluating our life. Uh, if, he's not, if God's not happy, it doesn't matter who else was singing your praises, right? We really do uh, live for an audience of one, ultimately. To, we want to him to uh, say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Um, and I think the context here uh, is this. In the context of suffering, and that's what he's talking about in relationship to these Thessalonians, uh, is God going to be well pleased in terms of how I lived and how I handled myself? Well, if that's the issue in the context of suffering, you know, how about when we're not suffering so much? <laughs> Probably even a higher standard there. But uh, this was Paul's goal. We often point these verses out where Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we make it our aim, this is our goal, whether present or absent, whether dead or alive, to be well-pleasing to him. That's the goal. And here's the, the, concern, the issue, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is a believer's judgment, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. There's going to be an evaluation. The issue is not salvation. I mean, Christ took care of all of our sins on the cross. Uh, so we're saints. Uh, um, you can't get in by one offering he has perfected forever, uh, them that are being sanctified. So uh, the issue there becomes, uh, you know, is God pleased with how we served? It's quality of service. Ford used to have that little motto, uh, uh, quality is job one, something like that. Uh, you know, that's the issue before God. What's the quality uh, of our service. And in this context here, uh, it's in the context of persecution and, and tribulation and, and uh, suffering. And so he's praying that our God would count you worthy of this calling, this kingdom calling, and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness. Uh, that's a great prayer, uh, that God would fulfill uh, the good, his good pleasure, uh, all the good pleasure of his goodness. We want to be doing God's goodness. Uh, we want to be do-gooders in that sense, right? Uh, goodness. Uh, what is goodness, by the way? All, fulfill all the, the good pleasure of his goodness. Uh, well, what is his goodness? It's a good thing I'm bringing it up, right? <laughs> well, it sure does. I mean, if we're good, it's, it is by grace. I mean, in and of ourselves, we're not. There's none that does good in and of ourselves. Uh, as far as uh, there's nothing that will merit anything before God, that's for sure. All our righteousness are, are filthy rags. I don't know where you're going with it, but <coughs> well, when I think of it, really, you think of, of His grace and His mercy and the forgiveness of sins. Okay, let's build this a little bit. Yeah. Right. Um, they're closely related here. The word and is in there, right? And uh, the work of faith with power. So he's talking about, you know, goodness and the, the work of faith with power. Well, that's a good answer. Uh, let's zero in on that goodness a little bit. What is goodness, for goodness sake? Ah, that's good. That's good. Uh, it, it, it's a quality of God's character. Right? And a lot of... Huh? Purity? Yeah, certainly those things. Uh, goodness is kind of a hard word to get a hold of in some, in some ways. Uh, part of the fruit of the Spirit is goodness, right? It's one, one of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, uh, goodness. And so, yeah, it's moral excellence. It relates to the character of God. When we think about goodness, we think about what is wholesome, uh, what is beneficial, uh, what is good for others, uh, what is healthy, uh, 
you know, this is to be kind of characterizing our lives. Uh, fulfill all the good pleasure of, of his goodness. His goodness working in our lives. You know, this is what the Bible says about what defined Christ's ministry in Acts 10, 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So when it talks about Jesus went about doing good, uh, he was going about doing wholesome things, healthy things, beneficial things. Uh, for the good of people, delivering them from the bondage of, of Satan, uh, what's spiritually good for them and, and even physically good for them in many cases. Um, so when we think about the goodness of God uh, being fulfilled in our lives, to fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness, uh, how might that apply? How, yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, um, you know, it's kind of like you can't totally divorce one aspect of God's attributes from, from it's kind of a whole package. But uh, I guess what I'm getting at here, goodness, I think, relates to wholesome living that's for the, for the benefit of others. When, when Christ, you know, the devil is a destroyer. And wherever he goes, he's hurting people. He's tearing people down. He's destroying. Christ went about making people whole. Uh, it was good. It was wholesome. It was beneficial. We're to be those kind of people. I mean, who brings good to the world? Uh, it's God's people. Um, and we are salt. We are light. Uh, we, you know, in our context are fulfilling uh, as God's body, his hands, his feet, his, you know, uh, we, are, we are doing the work of God in the world. And it and it's, uh, involves a lot of goodness, wholesome, uh, beneficial effects on people. And certainly we think about spiritually. I mean, we bring the wholesome, that which will make you whole in terms of the gospel of Jesus Christ spiritually. And even otherwise, I mean, there are other side effects as far as, you know, us interacting with the the world. I say the world doesn't realize how much they owe uh, to the Christians. They don't appreciate the Christians. They think we're the the bad guys. (laughs) Really, we're... No pun intended, the good guys. <laughs> uh, we bring a wholesome uh, effect to the whole community, to, to the world here. Uh, there is a, a, a fulfilling of God's good pleasure uh, through, as his goodness is, is put on display in and through his people. As the fruit of the Spirit it involves that goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yes, it does. There's flavor there, isn't there? Yeah, Kurt? I can't help but think about, you know, like my employees at work or something. I will often say, good job. Yeah. What am I really saying? Well, that's a good point. That's a good thought. Yeah, that's right. That's good. All right. Anyone else? You know, I, I think about the rapture. I'm thinking about the rapture a lot these days just because I've been studying a lot. But uh, can you imagine uh, the, the kind of world, if you remove all of God's people instantly from the world, uh, what kind of a context you're going to have? I mean, you have a world of depravity. I mean, I, those two witnesses come on the scene, you know, essentially immediately, I think. And so things will start happening. But initially, you are left with a, a depraved world. Uh, where is the goodness in that? Uh, you know, it's, it's going to be ugly. Lots of ugliness. Yeah. Yeah, right. There you go. Yeah, how's that working? Yeah. Yeah, Kurt. Yeah. That's that's great. That's good. Amen. That's that's a good connection there. Events. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, destroy them. That, yeah, right. That's true. It's a, it's a purging, a major purging. There will be lots of people coming to the Lord too, but it's going to be in the most under the most difficult of times, the worst of times, as Christ described it. And you know, well over half the world's population is going to die just by the numbers in in the Book of Revelation. So uh, yeah, it's going to a lot of, a lot of it's going to be rough. Yeah. Oh yeah, Turkey. Oh yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh, yeah, and you see those people wailing, and, and oh, my goodness, yeah, really? It's just a, just a little s snapshot, absolutely. All right, um, very good. Uh, so goodness, uh, to fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness. God wants to be working his goodness out through us. Isn't that neat that we can be the channels of his goodness through the fruit of the Spirit when the Spirit's controlling us? Uh, it's, it's a good thing to come along and try to be a wholesome influence and, and be used of the Lord in that way. And then he says, and the work of faith with power. Uh, what is the work of faith? What is the work of faith? I mean, this is an interesting phrase, isn't it? The work of faith. Hey, are you engaged in the work of faith? What is the work of faith? That's good. What's that? Well, that's true. Uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That, that, that's, that's true. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the work of faith is when faith, you know, you are working it out in your life. It's a walk of faith, and it's a work of faith. Um, what, let's back up. What is faith? Belief. It's taking God at his word, isn't it? It's relying upon God. It's depending upon God. Now put yourself in the context of persecution. What does the work of faith look like in, in the context of persecution? Right. I think it's, it's responding to those tribulations uh, by faith, taking God at his promise instead of saying, oh, no, we're in the day of the Lord. No, no, come back. What has God promised you here? Uh, you got a kingdom hope. You've got a kingdom promise. Live in light of that. Uh, your hope is not here. Uh, the best is yet to be. It's, it's walking by faith. It steadies you. It's an anchor in your life. It's taking God at his promises uh, regarding what he has, his kingdom promises and who you are as kingdom people. So I think in this context, when he's talking about the, the work of faith uh, with power, that's really what he's talking about. Uh, the work of faith with power is walking by faith, depending on the power of the Holy Spirit to do what God calls us to do, namely to be his witnesses and glorify him. In the context of persecution, this means the word of God and his promises are our guide. Instead of responding in the flesh, we rest in God, knowing that one day God will make all things right. He will vindicate it's a matter of faith. And that's really what it comes down to in terms of uh, when you're going through a really hard time, uh, where do you get your strength? Well, you've got to come back to God. You've got to come back to the promises of God, uh, the hope that you have in Him. And that's where He's tethering these people. Come back to your faith. And I'm praying that you will have that, that work of faith with, with power uh, in, your, in your experience, in your life. Okay, any other thoughts there? All right. Yes, Andrew. said. Amen. Only thing I would add is what uh, Caleb was kind of touching on there earlier. There, there, there is a close connection here between uh, God fulfilling his goodness in us and, and this walk, uh, walk of uh, faith. 
And uh, so I think when we are walking by faith, God is able to fulfill his purposes, his good purposes that he has for us uh, in, this, in this life. All right, uh, let's finish out. Who wants to read verse 12? Finish out chapter 1 here. Yeah, Anita? Okay, this all ties back to Paul, Paul's prayer for them. And uh, he is praying uh, to this end that they would walk worthy and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. Uh, to this end, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him. Uh, the name uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, what's his name? It says uh, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's true. Uh, that's breaking it down. Yeah, Caleb? It really just, it's a way of um, expressing the weight of who he is. And often in the, the Old Testament, uh, when they describe the tabernacle, God describes it in a way that this is where my name will, will be. Mm-hmm. Not like him physically, but his name, his presence will be there. So uh, this, it's kind of like a cherry on top of the previous verse. He describes practically how these things occur, but then he puts it at this ultimate statement where he says, oh, and by the way, uh, live worthy of Jesus' name. This is like the highest attainment, so uh, if you think you're doing pretty good then, you just keep looking at Jesus and are you meeting that bar? Well, that's good. That's good. Yeah, his name is his person. It's all that the person stands for. It's his reputation. It's really all that the person is. And so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, Lord means sovereign master. Uh, Lord, uh, Lord God, is, you know, uh, master is really what Lord means. But when used in reference to Jesus after his resurrection, it always refers to his, his sovereign authority. Uh, he is sovereign master. Uh, so it's the idea of, of God master. Jesus literally means uh, Yahweh is salvation. You know, it's a... It's a Joshua in the Old Testament, Jesus in the New Testament, uh, Yeshua. And uh, it, it literally is the idea of God, Savior. And then uh, Christ, of course, literally means anointed one. It refers to, it's an Old Testament word. Uh, anointed ones in the Old Testament were, were chosen by God for special roles. And uh, so they were anointed, recognized that they are God's chosen. Uh, so it's, it's that idea. Uh, the, the one who is uh, prophesied in the Old Testament to be God's uh, special chosen one. And it's interesting, uh, Paul is stuck on what we often call the full name of, of Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he's got many names, a lot more names than that. But often uh, we talk about his full name in, in one sense being Lord Jesus Christ. He uses it five times in chapter 1, right? I mean, it's definitely emphasized chap, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, verse 2, verse 8, and twice here in verse 12. Uh, Lord Jesus Christ, he's really making a tremendous emphasis there. Uh, I mean, this is who he is, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, may be glorified in you. This is the goal, uh, that Christ would be glorified in us. And it's an amazing reality that our God lives inside of us. Christ in you, the hope of glory, as Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, um, may be glorified in you, in believers. And he's glorified in us when, when we walk worthy, as we have talked about. One of my favorite prayers, I pray this often, the last part of Philippians 1.20, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Isn't that a great prayer? That Christ would be magnified in my body. In my body, whether by life or by death. Whatever it is, that Christ would be magnified. Uh, this is his prayer for them. Uh, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. And you in him. That's kind of interesting. Uh, we kind of get how God is glorified in us when we are walking worthy uh, what, what do you suppose this means? And you in him. Glorified in you. And you in him. Interesting way to state this. What do you suppose that last part means? And, and you in him. 
Yeah. We definitely get the idea of our union with Christ. And we are uh, glorified in him, and he is glorified in us. Almost a mutual uh, glorification in the sense of uh, God's using that ultimately uh, to bring glory to himself. I think the, the, the language here really emphasizes the union that we have with, with him and how this brings glory uh, to him. Okay, and then he uh, finishes out verse 12. According to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, of course, grace means unmerited favor. If we are anything, we are trophies of grace. I mean, it's all about grace. I mean, through endless eternity, we are going to be singing God's praises for his grace. Uh, mercy is when God withholds what we deserve, the punishment. <laughs> He's merciful. But grace is giving us that which we don't deserve. Uh, according to the grace, all of this, uh, that uh, the calling we have uh, to his kingdom, how God works uh, in and through us his goodness uh, and uh, brings glory to himself. Uh, it's all according to the, the grace of God. We're simply trophies of, of his grace. Notice he says, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we see that, that union here, but here the emphasis is uh, God and our, the Lord Jesus Christ, emphasizing equality. We see uh, the chapter starts this way in verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, which uh, one is uh, behind this grace and this peace? And I'm thinking especially of grace here. Well, it's both, right? From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I mean, is this kind of a 50-50 deal between them? Uh, how, how is this? Well, <laughs> I don't know how to break that down. Uh, it's both, right? Which really kind of emphasizes uh, equality again, the deity of Jesus Christ being brought up. Same thing here, uh, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, is it God the Father's grace or is it G the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it his grace? Uh, yes. Yes, you know, again, I don't think you can say, well, it's, it's kind of this way or that. It's both. Uh, it's, uh, there's equality that is being emphasized there. Grace. Uh, only the grace of God can bring a person from being a hell-bound sinner to where he becomes a reflector of the glory of God who will ultimately share intimately in that glory. Uh, this is Paul's prayer on the basis of grace, and it will be answered. I asked him if we could sing that song because, uh, you know, this reflects a lot what we see in chapter 1 here. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. He gives them a proper theology of suffering here. Uh, don't think just because you're going through hard times during the day of the Lord. I mean, God's people down through the church age and... There's always been suffering and persecution. Uh, we've had a very unique situation in our country. It's getting a little more pressure these days. We're not kind of the favored majority anymore. Uh, nobody's even saying moral majority. <laughs> but uh, that doesn't determine our theology as far as whether we're in the day of the Lord or not. And this is where he goes as we get into chapter 2. Uh, don't be soon shaken in mind. Don't let anybody trouble you. Have a proper uh, theology of suffering that God uses this, it shows you that it, it just kind of goes to demonstrate you are kingdom children. Uh, the devil goes after kingdom children, and his children go after God's children. Uh, proper theology of suffering. And then uh, th this, is, uh, this is our calling. We are kingdom people. Walk worthy of that kingdom calling. All right. Uh, any other thoughts as we... Yeah, Andrew? On Yeah. Yep. Why is the Holy Spirit never mentioned? It's a great question. I just don't know that I can answer it. Uh, yeah. Well, why? You know, I believe the Holy Spirit is equally, you know, co-eternal, co-equal, co-important. Uh, so it's not like there's, you know, the Holy Spirit is kind of like the tag-along little brother or something. I mean, uh, that that's not the idea. 
But why is he not mentioned? Well, that's a good question. You know, there are different roles in the Godhead. I mean, it wasn't, uh, wasn't the Spirit who died on the cross. It wasn't God the Father. I mean, it was Jesus. You say, well, boy, I mean, how, how'd that happen? <laughs> you know, uh, God's sovereign plan. There's a lot of things I, do, I don't know uh, for whatever reason. Uh, even the, the Spirit, you know, he, he testifies of me, Christ says, and, and he will glorify me. I mean, it's like the Spirit doesn't draw attention to himself. It's one of the issues we've had with the charismatics where they put all this emphasis on the Holy Spirit. Who puts the emphasis on Jesus Christ? All of a sudden, we're kind of out of kilter in terms of what the, the Word of God says. So it's just the Spirit's role is more, you know, behind the scenes in that sense. But it doesn't, you know, take away from him in any way. It's a, it's a good question, but uh, yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, all the ministries of the Spirit. I mean, he's the Spirit of Truth. Uh, yeah. Yes. Okay. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, they do have different roles. And uh, to the why, you know, we can only say what God says, you know, as far as why questions. And that's why I say I don't really know how to answer that because God doesn't really tell us the why there. Oh, yeah. Well, there, I'll go with that one then. <laughs> yes? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, his role is phenomenal. I mean, uh, so many things. I mean, we're baptized uh, into the body of Christ by the Spirit. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We're enlightened by the Holy Spirit. Uh, all of that. We could go down the list, a huge list of things related to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So, uh, yeah. And uh, you have not, you know, like in uh, Ananias and Sapphira, you have, you have not lied unto men, but unto God. Uh, they lied to the Holy Spirit, you know, uh, God, the Holy Spirit. I mean, on and on, we can make all those connections. So he is definitely there. Uh, I'm not wanting to take a thing away from him. But why, you know, it's mentioned this way. <laughs> Often we see God, the Father, even in Jesus' ministry, talks about, you know, his Father. And... Uh, so anyway, yeah, good, good discussion. All right, anything else? Okay, let's go ahead and share some prayer requests and... Uh